What's up, everybody? This is Hussam Patel today. And Brandon, I guess uh, we got a special crossover today. Special? I mean, this is uh, this is probably the first time that we're probably we're, – we're doing a show with two other Finmaniac writers all during the offseason, right? I mean, we're so used to, to doing this during Miami Dolphins football season. But now, hey, bringing in guys to, to discuss offseason drama, I'm all for it. For sure. And in the house today, we got the two amigos. We got Jorge and Carter. Jorge, Carter. What's up, guys? How you doing, amigos? Hey, guys. How you doing? It's it's great to be here. Um, I'm sorry. We, we're just going to crash your show and make all about jokes and make it funny. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Carter's going to give up some hot takes later that we're just going to want to kill him for. Don't worry. I've got that covered for, for next week. And I got, I want to strangle him right on the neck with my bare hand sometimes on the things he tells me. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. Okay. This Carter. is, this is a monumental crossover. Okay. And I, I admit it. Okay. Sometimes a, a little controversial, but here's the thing. I, I disagree with Jorge about 95% of the time. I disagree with Hussam, maybe 98% of the time. So it's going to be super exciting and uh, I'm ready for it. Well, let's see how much you'll disagree with Brandon. Uh, Brandon, let's start off. What do you think about the 17-game season? The 17-game season, to me, it has its ups and it also has its downs. Here's the, uh, here's the positive, right, for the Dolphins, a team that hasn't really been pretty irrelevant from 2010 on. You add in a 17-game, right? Let's say you, that's probably a must-win game in order to get into the playoffs. And knowing that you're going to have a home game against the uh, New York Giants, I don't really see how the Dolphins blow that game. But we've lost games to Geno Smith. We've lost games to Thad Lewis. So I guess if you're a Dolphins fan, a diehard Dolphins fan like, like the four of us, I guess anything's possible. But the 17-game season to me, it, you know, I, I, in, in, all, in all honesty, I, I think it, it benefits teams. You know, I mean, it obviously adds in another game week of preparation and all that nonsense. But – for a team like the Dolphins and other teams across the league that, you know, they rarely don't hear playoffs next to their name, I think it, it honestly really could benefit. Jorge, what's it going to be like seeing a 9-8, and 10-7, and 8-9, 7-10 on the records, on the stat sheet? I mean, I think, you know, the Dolphins are going to stay away from that this, this season at least. Um, I think we all expect at least 10 wins just watching the calendar and the schedule as, it, as it's coming up. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to not have, no longer having those 500 seasons. And, you know, if Jeff Fisher ever comes back to the league, what is he <laughs> that's, that's my question. The core 500 guy, eight in eight seasons almost every single time. Carter, what's your hot take on this 17-game season? So every time the Dolphins schedule drops, I always go through the games in my head and say win, loss, win, loss. And it was so weird because I thought my math was off, even though I knew there was 17 games. And I think I said like nine and eight, like maybe 50 times in my head thinking I'm going insane. But I, we know that this is a money grab for the NFL. That's all this is. It's a, it's a big money grab. They want to make more money. They want to make up for the COVID losses. And personally, I mean, it's more football, right? It's, it's, more football what what else can you do I know the NFL doesn't care about its players it's always showed that so I don't know you have to kind of weigh that I don't think anybody would complain about having an extra game of football certainly I wouldn't complain uh Brandon one we're at 23 days out of the draft you know Ronnie Brown or you could 
possibly say Patrick's thirteen days away from the NFL draft. <laughs> Who is on your wish list? Who's on my wish list? I mean, after watching that Florida that that Florida Pro Day, I don't. I think a lot of teams are probably wishing for tight end Kyle Pitts. But hey, look, you know, if the Dolphins they and you know we brought in a great guest on our show that we finished up about 10, 15 minutes ago, and even even Ryan Roberts was talking about it. Kyle Pitts is a guy that just if he's on the board, the Dolphins simply can't mess that up, right? I mean, you do have already one solidified tight end, Mike Kosicki. He blossomed ever since Adam Gase pretty much got fired, right? But aside from from Mike from Mike Kosicki, Miami's tight end room is not really it's not really jaw dropping, you know. There's not there's in the names in in that tight end room aren't really like wow, you know. So if if Kyle Pitts is on the board, that would be my honest pick. But then again, if a, if a Jamar Chase and a, if a Devontae Smith is there as well, a wide receiver is a position of need. Not really – I don't think the, the, the tight end is as much of a need compared to an edge rusher or a uh, wideout. But Kyle Pitts, you know, you watch this game film just from this past season, from 2020, and I know it was in a pandemic year, but he absolutely dominated. And, that's, and you know, that's pretty, that's pretty much all I got to say. Jorge, you're a trenches guy. Yeah, I'm a trenches guy. And honestly, I love Kyle Pitts and he's my pick at six. If he's gone by then, then I'm picking Russians later if he's still there, a tackle. Um, I, I, I love just building through the trenches. And if, if you give Tua and even Miles Gaskin, who I'm sure Carter's just going to go on a, on a roundabout in a couple minutes. <laughs> I hope he is. I love Gaskin. Gaskin. I mean, I think I think that'd be great. And honestly, I think I'm on the minority where I think I look at the wide receiver room right now. I don't see a glaring need to go wide receiver at six, especially with the depth in this class and the amount of quality you're going to find in the second round, third round, even down in the fifth round and so on. Um, I honestly wouldn't go receiver at six. Even if Chase is there, I would go Pitts, and then Slater's my guy. Now, do you think Rashawn Slater is a better prospect than Panay Sewell? Because certainly I feel that Slater is a much better prospect I than think so. I, Panay I Sewell. He's, he's my number one tackle on my board right now. I know this is a big, big octave because I know Panay Sewell is the number one offensive tackle in this class. However, when you take a look at the tape, I mean, Rashawn Slater is more of a technique guy. And technique guys, almost 90% of the time, win with their technique and their blocking mechanism. Now, Panesa, well, is more so on the athletic upside with his athleticism. I just prefer to go with technique guys for the Miami Dolphins because I think he can play anywhere on the line. Uh, Carter, who is your guy you want at either number six, number 18, or maybe even in the later rounds of the draft? Before I say my wish list, I want to say that I have an anti-wish list, all right? I don't want any... <laughs> drafting of players that might even uh give competition to gas can gaskins no, right? Najee Harris? i don't want anyone so wait, you're scared? Are, are you scared that if they bring a better player he's not going to be able to rise to the challenge is, is that the what you're saying they, no, no no they don't need to spend uh draft capital on they got their guy they got their guy that's what i want to say right now my point is Okay, don't bring in competition for him. He's fine. He's going to be a superstar. And especially, don't bring anyone in in the first round. That's my anti-list. That's all I have to say on the matter. But my my list, and I think Hassam has seen me tweet about him as well, Rondell Moore is my favorite wide receiver in this draft. I love the guy. And for a long, long time, people are thinking he's number one wide receiver in the draft, uh, maybe black or something like that. This last year wasn't very kind to the guy. It wasn't very kind to him, all right? But 
He's still my number one wide receiver, and you can get him in the second round. You can use six and 18, however the flip you want to use it, and then still scoop up the best wide receiver in this draft at like 40, maybe, you know, in the, in the 50s. It's insane. I personally prefer Elijah Moore over Rondell Moore, and Rondell Moore is not my number one receiver in the draft class. Carter, I this I very, know. very, 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 very interesting. Brandon, uh, talk about the expectations Tua Tungavailoa has going into the season. He has, he, you know, he has highest uh, expectations. You know, it's funny, a pandemic year when you had no offseason, when you had no o, no OTAs, and you had all four of your preseason games pretty much take, taken away from you. And mind me, he didn't even start until midseason, right? His first game was home to the to the L.A. Rams. He's got high expectations. And to be honest, when you take a look at in, in a hole in that 2020 draft class, if Joe Burrow never got hurt, I thought he was going to be the, the best out of that out of that class. I mean, right? Because Justin Herbert obviously dominated that that class after Joe Burrow went down. But the es- the expectations for two are going to be pretty damn high this year. You take a look at Miami's schedule; they have a lot of tough competition this year. I mean, Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill. Let's say hy- hypothetically that Deshaun Deshaun Watson is staying in Houston. You got them. You got a new quarterback landing with the uh, New York Jets soon. You got Josh Allen and that rising team in in, in, in Buffalo. And this is probably going to be a full normal NFL season. I'm sure OTAs, training camp, and they'll have three games now in, instead of the usual four. This is this is a huge year for for Tua because if he under if he doesn't perform exceedingly high to the to the expectations given, don't be surprised if you you know necessarily hear trade rumors. I mean, because Miami's in like a win mode now. But you, again, as you know, as as Jorge said, you know, we're destined to win ten games, right? Because look at the roster that we had last year, and we were able to win ten games, right? You throw in Tua in the middle of a pandemic season with no OTAs, you know, with with an op, with an offensive coordinator that was pretty much, you know, it pretty much had your head scratched in every single game as to why was he calling the plays that he was calling. You saw Justin Herbert was throwing 35, 40 yard bombs every game. But then you saw Tua was continuously throwing five, 10 yard slants. You know, like it, it was, it, it was just, it was, it was a very monotone offense. Now you're bringing in a new offense coordinator. This is honestly, this is, this is a huge year. If you take a look again in that whole 2020 draft class, all eyes are pretty much going to be on Tua because we know Justin Herbert can dom. We know, we know Justin Herbert really belongs in the NFL. We know Joe Burrow before he got hurt really belongs. They're probably going to honestly be like, just Tua really belong? And that's probably what they have to see early on. Jorge, what would you like to see in this new offense now that Chan Gailey is out of here? Yo, first of all, I, I got to say, I disagree with Brandon with the Dolphins being in a win-now mode. I think this is still one of the youngest rosters in the NFL. I mean, this is still going to have – we're still going to see some growing pains. We're still going to see player development. And I agree, Tua has to make a huge leap forward from what we saw last year. But as, as Brandon pointed out, you know, there was he was doing rehab during this time last year. He wasn't doing football things. Right now he's doing football things. He came, ba- he came in and, and the plan originally, I think, was get him in that original buy afterwards. But the buy got moved, so he had to jump in. And that's when they said to do a change. It was obvious that Changeli didn't trust him. Uh, I think he had a much better relationship with George Gotzi, and we saw that in the Cardinals game and so on. Um, and, and, I mean, we, we saw flashes of what Tua can do. I mean, that bomb to Jakeem Brand that was a huge drop. I think it's going to be on our memories for forever or for a very, very long time. 
And and here's what I would like to see about from this roster and from two in particular. I want to see, you know, smart decisions with the ball. I want to see a run first offense that, you know, tees off on play action, RPOs. But for that, you need to have an intimidating ground game that Dolphins didn't have last year. Okay. The Dolphins, you know, they no one feared the Dolphins running game. No, no one feared Dolphins passing game. If you get a running back, and I know Carter's against this, but if you get Najee Harris at 18, okay. And you actually have a run first offense that forces teams to go eight in the box, nine in the box, and allows Tua to go and play action, throw those deep bumps to Devante Parker. He loves to jump uh, those jump balls that he loves. If you go to, to Will Fuller with a quick slant and he manages to take it to the house. I mean, that's what this team needs. It's a running game first to get the pressure off Tua because he's still a second year quarterback at the end of the day. Well, essentially, last year, the teams didn't buy on the play action passes because my they knew Miami did not have a solid ground game. We saw it in Tennessee with Derrick Henry, how the ground game really, really helped Ryan Tannehill. We saw it with Matt Ryan too before uh, during the Super Bowl run. They leaned on the running game, which allowed Matt Ryan and Julio Jones to connect, and they played defensive football. This is the type of philosophy Brian Flores is bringing to Miami: running the ball, pounding the rock, and playing lights out defense. Carter. What would you like to see Tua do? And could the defense live up to the expectations like they did last season? So let me jump in on the point you just made, and then I'll come back around. Uh, so, and I this is kind of a sub-question for Jorge. Jorge, do you think it was a, a running back situation that we had problems with? Because I, I, Gaskin was still running for four yards a carry, okay? Was it a... Was it a running back situation or was it a our entire O-line was built for pass blocking and not run blocking? Look, I'm the first one to say we need to draft, you know, better run blockers. And you've seen my mock draft, Wyatt Davis, Creed Humphrey, Queen Mineers. They every every mock you're gonna see from me is gonna see one of those guys in. But I do think Miles Gaskin is a great number two. Let's be honest, he wouldn't start on a lot of teams in the NFL right now. Right? I think he would start. Maybe the Jets from our division, but he wouldn't start with Buffalo. He wouldn't even start with New England, okay? He's a great number two, and I think we saw flashes of what he can do in that Oakland Raiders game. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders game, sorry. Um, but I, I think you need to have that one big guy that you're going to ride when it's third and short, and you're just going to give him the ball, and you know he's going to move the pile. And and that's not Miles Gaskin. Okay, well then I'll, I'll follow up on Hussam's question, because we could go on for on and on about that one. Yeah, but, we have our uh, joke, but don't take over this. This is a crossover, man. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Good point. Uh, But I would have to say, in terms of Tua, what I love is that the expectations are bare bones, bottom of the barrel. No no one in the media thinks he's going to win four games this season. So, I mean, really, we I think we have better expectations for Tua. And I think I think you have to have a winning season. And I think it has to be your winning season because Ryan Fitzpatrick helped out with last year's winning season a ton. Uh, so I think that's the expectations I would have for Tua. And then this defense, I've talked about this a lot with Jorge. I think this defense is going to take a huge step back because, uh, you know, I think we have literally no edge right now. And that hopefully that will be assessed in the draft. And even when we had Ogba the, last year, I think we were really op- opportunistic rather than like a really, really like solid defense where we're causing a lot of turnovers. but. I don't know if that's super replicatable. I don't know if we can continue to be that team. I don't think X is going to have 10 picks in one season ever again. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think it's a step back. Well, to your point about the edge, number one, 
with the philosophy Brian Flores brings in, it's almost the same thing as the Pats, but just a little bit different. They do not rely on their edge rushers to generate sacks, or I guess you could say maybe even bring the pressure a lot. They're built to eat up blocks, which is the reason why we signed Adam Butler during free agency, which is um, why we drafted Raekwon Davis, why Christian Wilkins lines up on the left side and the right side, and even towards the middle, because these guys eat up the blocks and lets the linebackers generate the pressure, you know, create those sacks or create those pressures leading to turnovers in the secondary. Uh, Brandon, with the addition of Benardrick McKinney at the mic position, does this allow Jerome Baker, Vince Beagle, and Andrew Van Ginkle to do what they do best, rush the passer? I mean, yeah, that's – I mean, the you saw even alone just in that in that Rams game when, the, when you got your defensive line guys rushing the quarterback, positive things happen, right? So, I mean, now you add in a guy who, was, who I believe was an all-pro guy. Now, and now you factor in Vince, Vince Beagle, who, who did not play at all last season because of a season that – what he had, I believe, knee, uh, knee surgery or, or something like along those lines. Mm-hmm. Now you factor in him now. And, and Andrew Van Dinkel, who I believe was one of the best guys towards the end of last season. This honestly – I mean, I honestly believe this, this could – I don't necessarily think they'll play up to what they played last year, what they have about almost like 30 turnovers, but they can definitely still come. They'll, 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 their Miami defense will definitely slave with a compete. Jorge, um, for the draft, now there are a couple of options such as Greg Rousseau, Kuwaiti Pei, Aziz Ojulari. Who is the guy, the guy you would like Miami to draft, whether it be at 18? Or somewhere around the second and third rounds. I think I think you know Aziz Ojulari is my number one guy, and then it's Jeff o- Joseph Osai. And I know Osai is raw, but I, I think I think there's something there there, uh, as you'd say. And I think he is he has enough of a foundation to actually be successful coming in as a rookie, more than say for example Jason Owe from Penn State, who I think relies a lot on athleticism and we've seen that fail in the NFL and with the Dolphins in particular with you and Jordan Charles Harris. So I think Joseph Osiris, Cesar Ojulari, I think are my two main edge guys that I'd like to see. Let me tell you who I wouldn't like to see. And I know he's more of a hybrid linebacker, but Mika Parsons is in my no want list. And I want no, no, no part of him. Uh, just reading the allegations against him at Penn State and seeing the character that Brian Flores is trying to instill in this locker room. I think that goes against everything that he's done the last two years. I think... When you talk about Micah Parsons, I come back to a player at the University of Michigan. Uh, I think of Cam McGrone. While Cam McGrone certainly doesn't have the name like Micah Parsons does, he's a little bit similar. And, you know, Sean Williams put that out in his article um, earlier today. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, Carter, since you're saying we need edge guys, who would you draft? Or who, maybe would you sign Jadavion Clowney? In free agency. Okay, well, you were you were just kind of making me rethink the whole uh, we don't have an edge thing. So I don't necessarily, uh, if that's the case, and I don't, maybe I don't study, uh, uh, you know, the defensive playbook as closely as you do. Then maybe we don't need an edge, and and I'm going to take your word for it. But I'm also going to make sure that later in the season, when we have no pressure on the quarterback. I'm- I'm coming back to you, all right? That's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to slap back on Twitter hard. Uh, so 
Yes, uh, hopefully that's the case. But I'll, I'll tell you, this last season, even when we were, you know, we were, I suppose most of our pressure was coming from the linebackers. I, I get that whole idea. Uh, I would love, I would love Clowney, a little too expensive. I would say either of the guys from Miami would be uh, something to look at. And um, I mean, that's just me because you can get those, those guys 18, maybe even second round a little bit. So that's what I would do. That's, that's great to hear because Sean just put out an article detailing Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips as well. You know, it's it's all about the you here, baby, down here. It's all <laughs> about the you. Brandon, I know you're a UF guy. You love Kyle oh. Pitts and all of that. But let's go down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There's pretty solid rumors, and we heard Ryan Roberts talk about it in our podcast as well, that Mac Jones to San Francisco is a good possibility. Now oh. – why would John Lynch pick Mac Jones over Justin Fields and Trey Lance, who fit better into Kyle Shanahan's system? You want ah? Uh, you know that's you know that's a really I was just over overly shocked when Ryan had Mac Jones falling all the way to what three? I mean, I, I don't I don't see Mac Jones falling anywhere near the top three, but. You know, obviously, all all these NFL GMs and these NFL scouts know a bunch more than the four of us here. But I guess, I mean, I guess the only possible answer I have is because he was coached by probably one of the, the greatest college co coaches of all time. I mean, like I, I, I mean, Justin Fields, just his overall resume, just that that game against against uh, Clemson in the college football playoff semifinal, uh, the national championship game against Al Alabama wasn't really so. Sexy, I guess you can say, compared to the lot compared to the college football playoffs semifinal. But in my board, and I'm not really a big mock guy, so I don't really create a, like a, a lot of a lot of mocks before the NFL draft. I would honestly still have Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance way above Matt Jones. Usam, I'd love to take a swing at this one, and I think, oh yeah, go ahead, man. I think you have to see the the age when John Lynch played and the sort of quarterbacks that were successful at that time. And I honestly don't, don't think that his vision has evolved to the current vision of what the quarterback position entails in the NFL. And he's going for that big, big program guy that was successful, that's not the most athletic. But in today's NFL, you need an athletic quarterback back there. Even if it's not going to be a scramble first kind of system, you need someone that's able to move around, create things with his feet, and actually create something out of nothing. Um, and and we saw Justin Fields in the national champion in, in the you know during the, play, the college playoffs and so on. And I mean, for, to me, that's guy number two right now, even ahead of Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, played same here. Lower competition. He always had a clean pocket. Very rarely had to do something under distress or, or under pressure. And the same thing goes to Mac Jones. And if you look at Mac Jones' film against Tua's, Mac Jones is taking what the defense gives him based on the concepts that Alabama runs. Tua was doing that and then creating something even further after after actually making the first couple of reads. So I actually have Mac Jones as a second round quarterback. And I if if San Francisco actually picks him at third, I think would be the worst pick in the last 20 years of the NFL draft. And that includes Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's I mean Jamarcus Russell was a was a pretty big bust. Now Mac Jones a bust? I don't think so, but could he be serviceable? For another team, maybe. Trade up to three for a guy that was going to be there at 12. I think this is more so of a smokescreen, which the 49ers are playing at because they're 
maybe going to try to get teams to trade up, uh, such as either to Carolina's pick, maybe Denver as well. And, you know, if Zach Wilson does go to the Jets, somehow San Francisco, if they do not pick Mac Jones, it's going to be Justin Fields or Trey Lance. However, if Mac Jones is not drafted, you got to think Atlanta is at number four. They could draft Trey Lance. They could draft Justin Fields. They may even trade back. What happens if New England trades up Carter for Mac Jones? Uh, if New England trades up for Mac Jones, I would be I would be happy. I think Mac Jones is enemy number one. I want uh, I want anyone in our division to have that guy in the roster because he is he is a submarine. He is going to ruin their franchise. I am not a big Mac Jones guy, I, and I think it's insane. And I want to ask you this, Assam, as my kind of follow up to this answer here is do you think that this that the NFL is more desperate for quarterbacks or this is like a really good draft for quarterbacks because I've never seen potentially five five guys being talked in the top, top 10 I think this is insane what do you think Assam? the NFL is a quarterback driven league and every single team needs a quarterback to get them over the hump and I particularly blame Patrick Mahomes for his instant success because this is the reason why Tua is getting a lot of hate. This is the reason why Sam Darnold could not, you know, do well in uh, New York, even though he had Adam Gase coaching him. And it was just, if you get coached by Adam Gase, I'm sorry. I pray for you. (laughs) Best of luck. And then you have guys who are thirsting over Deshaun Watson because he's the number two guy behind Patrick Mahomes. So, yes. There's a thirst that needs to be quenched, okay? The NFL is a quarterback-driven league. And look, even the Miami Dolphins were also interested in the availability of Deshaun Watson as well. I'm pretty sure 29 other teams besides the Kansas City Chiefs are looking to get Deshaun Watson and maybe 10 teams trying to get a quarterback through this draft, whether it be Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, um, and Trey Lance. Uh, before we wrap this up, give me your draft hot takes. Brandon, who do you think will be a reach in the first round? I'm honestly going to sit with my guy, Kyle Pitts. I mean, I just don't see how – I don't see how you pass up on him. I mean, I've, and I, I'm – and I'm – I'm a loyal Gators fan. You know, I'm not that guy who just watches them when, when they're placed on CBS or when they're placed on, on ESPN. They could be placed on the SEC Network for their whole entire season, and I'll still watch every game. I mean, I – and we asked Ryan during our show, if Kyle Pitts was there and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith, I'm honestly probably taking Kyle, Kyle Pitts. Because as, because as Jorge said, with Miami's wide receiver depth, we're not really in need of a wideout at, num- at number six. I mean, you, got Devon, you have Devontae Parker. You have Preston Williams, who should be fully healthy and ready to go. Status yet as to whether Albert, Albert Wilson's going to return in 2021. Nothing has been said yet. Same goes for Alan Hearns. I mean, there's definite wide, there's definite wide out depth and there's definitely talent. But from the tight end room, aside from Mike, from Mike Kasiti, uh, I mean, who do you really have? You know, like Adam, like does does that does that like does Adam Shaheen really, you know, make your eyes go wide? And, you know, like. I think Durham Smythe is a pretty good blocker too, and they oh, yeah, form Durham a great Smythe duo. But, but I want a tight end who can go down the field, you know. 
Yeah, uh, the addition of Kyle Pitts and Mike Jacecki in that even the eliminate 12 personnel is great. Jorge, drop your heart hot take for the draft. Who's going to be a reach? Who's a sleeper? What do you think, man? Here's, my, here's the thing. I think uh, Travis Etienne is going to be a huge reach in the first round. I mean, the guy played with Trevor Lawrence. Really? Yeah, I, th- I, 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 he's, you know, he's my fourth or fifth rate running back, you know, after, after Javante Williams, after Najee Harris, after Michael Carter even. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of Travis Etienne. I, I, I think he's going to be a, a reach in the first round. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think we're going to see Kyle Trask being probably the sixth quarterback taking and, and the first one in the second round just because teams are going to go desperate for him. Carter, say something that will not make me want to strangle you. Okay, I don't know if I can do that, but <laughs> but I'll tell you this, and Jorge and I have discussed this. Um, I think that two of the top three wide receivers in this draft, and you would have to say Waddle, uh, Waddle, Chase, and and Smith are probably the top three. I think two of those are going to be bust. I think two of those are going to be bust, and I think you got to pick. I got it. I think you got to pick one of the the, the lottery pick. I think you got to pick one of them. I'll tell you one of them that I think is going to be a bust. I will leave the rest to mystery. Smith is a bust. That's your boy, and I know that's your boy, but he's a bust. I'm telling you, Carter. I'm coming for you. Okay. I'm with, no, right, but I, I'm with him on this one because I'm coming think, for you too, Jorge. I, I think you'd be a great number two or number three on a roster. But if you're picking a guy at six, that's going to be your alpha guy. That's going to be the guy that you build your offer, offense around. And I'm sorry, if you weigh 170 pounds, no offense can be built around you in the NFL. Marvin Harrison. Hello. He did amazing. And he had Reggie Wayne and he had Dallas Clark. Does anybody know Denver. how much uh, Jamar Jefferson weighed? Uh, Jamar Chase weighs around two two hundred. No, Jamar Chase, the guy, the guy who was drafted last year, though. From oh, Justin Jefferson. I think he was like one ninety. I think he weighed one ninety. at the end of the NFL offseason program. And let me tell you this, Jorge yeah, and Carter. Two hundred two. He was two hundred two, right? Two hundred two at the end of the NFL offseason program. Let me tell you this, Devonta Smith will gain his weight. And the reason why he was so great at Alabama was because of his size and his fluidity. Look, if you take a look at how he plays, yes, he's great. But it's the way how he's been great because of his body size. He's able to take those angles. Those skinny toothpick legs, they're able to move like a jiffy. They're able to stop defenders on a dime. So please, please get rid of this You know, you know what? You know who weight. else? Was amazing. You, you know, you know who was also lightweight. Oh, you know who was, you know who was all, also lightweight. And was Miles Gaskin is also lightweight too. Okay, Carter. <laughs> I agree. I'm, Miles Gaskin is also like, lightweight. I and try my best. To yeah, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. You know who else was super fast and everyone was crazy about him and he had GP legs and everyone said, "Oh, he's gonna be able to take those hits." His name was Pat White. Okay. And mm, the man, Pat White like, was something else. That right. was so, that was something. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot not of big. Quarterbacks on the roster that had. I'm not. I'm not big on picking undersized guys. And actually, my number two receiver is definitely going to be there at 18. That's going to be Rashad Bateman, and I think he is the number two after Chase in this wide receiver class. I like Bateman too, but I'm going to mention Jakeem Grant. He's small. He's tiny. He's able to take those hits. It's sure. He's he gotten knocked out. He can't Great. catch. But Devonta Smith can catch. He's got sticky hands. He's got gorilla Devonta glue. Smith can catch anything. <laughs> he can catch he, anything. Okay. Many, if you need this many justifications for a guy, then he's not worth it. He's not worth a top ten pick. It's because you're That's putting up all these questions and, and he's and proved they're, it they're wrong. But they're legitimate questions, Sam. I mean, they are legitimate questions. They are. They are. Right? 
and this is going to be a big guy. This is a league where we've got linebackers running four fours, and they're going to be hunting down Devontae Smith. I mean, the SEC defenses have done that too, and he's absolutely destroyed them as one. And a lot of these good players in the NFL have come from SEC and Big Ten defenses. So I'm just saying, oh, an offseason to gain his weight, weight and learn the system. I think, I think he could be a great, great wide receiver. Yeah, we're gonna agree to disagree on that one. Yeah, I, I think I think we will. This uh, upcoming season is uh, gonna be fun for the for the four of us. We're gonna be fighting a lot. A lot. <laughs> so Jorge Carter, the two amigos gang, thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. And Brandon, thank thanks for being an awesome sure. host. As always, guys, fins up. See ya.